Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to The Inner Life here on this Tuesday. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. Glad to have you along for our hour of spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app on this Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And uh, as we begin our program today, what was your favorite part of going to school? Do you remember adults asking you that when you were young? Well, what do you like best? What's your favorite subject? You could always give an honest answer. You know, you like math or science or you excelled at English or you enjoyed history or whatever the class might be. But if you were like me, when you were in elementary school, at least once or twice, you probably responded, oh, my favorite subject, it's recess. I love recess. Now, the elementary school that I attended had three different recess breaks during the school day. It had a 15-minute recess in the morning, had that longer half-hour recess that was combined with lunch, and then there was another 15-minute recess later in the afternoon. And I can remember being out in the schoolyard, and while there was some of the interaction that would happen naturally between boys and girls playing games, doing different activities, there were many times where the girls would only be around other girls and the boys would only be in a group of other boys. And I never remember the boys trying to keep the girls from joining in what they were doing. The boys just happened to be playing a game that was not interesting to the girls or viewed as maybe being too rough. Or when the girls were playing something that the boys didn't want to join in, it was similar. The girls weren't excluding any of the boys. But if I had the chance as a young boy of playing basketball with the other guys or to sit there and chat While I was combing a Barbie doll's hair every single day of the week, (laughs) I'm going to choose playing basketball. Out on the playground, it was also interesting to see how the boys and girls responded to someone getting hurt. If I was playing basketball or soccer or kickball or, you know, one, one of those games out there in the schoolyard, and the other boys, if I or one of them got hurt in the activity of the game, the other boys, they might come around and see, oh, are you okay? But they'd stand back kind of a step or two away from where you were if you were lying on the ground there, you know, hurt knee or ankle or whatever it was. They'd circle around you, sure, but they'd let you pick yourself up off the ground. They were kind of curious, but also a bit sympathetic to what was happening there. They don't want you to be hurt, but they were also, I think, wanting to see Are you going to be able to continue playing the game? Or are we going to have to sub in another player for you? Or, you know, if there's nobody else to come in and take your spot, do we kind of have to adjust our strategy here? Because you would heal eventually from whatever hurt you were going through. But that recess game of soccer or uh, whatever it was, it was on the line. And you couldn't let up now that you were so close to winning. 
Now, I'm also speaking in general terms here of how kids behaved when I was in elementary school, but I did see a difference in how the girls responded if they were playing and they got hurt. If they fell on the blacktop and skinned a knee or they fell off the monkey bars or whatever they were doing, if a girl got hurt, any other girls that were directly playing with them, they'd all come around and kneel down and they'd actively check to see if the hurt girl was going to be all right. One girl might place a hand on the hurt girl's shoulder, trying to give some comfort in that moment, maybe something her mother had done for her. The other girls, they would help up the hurt girl. They'd give her some assistance. One of them might walk with her, even a couple of them might walk with her, back to the classroom or to visit the school nurse if it was something that seemed a little more serious. Unlike the boys who were worried about the outcome of a playground game, some sort of competition that was taking place, the girls were primarily worried about their friend being cared for, that she was going to be okay, both physically and emotionally. Now, as an adult, let me ask you, how do you behave? Do you find yourself acting more like the boys on the playground? You know that somebody might be hurting, going through some sort of tough moment, and you kind of want to be there if you're needed, You care a little bit, but you also have other things on your mind. Or do you act more like those little girls at recess? Do you stop whatever you're doing and come alongside that person who's dealing with some sort of suffering or difficulty and try to actively comfort them? Do you walk along with them until they get to where they can receive more care or more assistance than you might be able to give on your own? And if you're the one who's hurt, if you're the one who's suffering, if you're going through that tough time, Which type of person would you want to come and help you? Well, that's what we want to talk about today here on The Inner Life. We want to discuss how we can be that person that we can can offer that help to someone when they're suffering. Uh, We're kind of following that second greatest commandment that Jesus gives us, to love our neighbor as ourself. And we want to be that. We want to be our brother's keeper or our sister's keeper. Joining us today as we look at this, as our spiritual director here for the hour, making his uh, debut on our program, very glad to welcome to the Inner Life Father John McDonald. He's a priest in the Diocese of Birmingham and pastor of Sacred Heart of Jesus Catholic Church in Anniston, Alabama. And Father McDonald, welcome to the program today. So glad to have you here. Thank you, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Birmingham, uh, are, are you a native to that area? I'm a native of Citronelle, Alabama, which is in Mobile County on the Gulf Coast in the Archdiocese of Mobile. Okay, very good. So you moved up a little north uh, from Mobile up to, to Birmingham then? Yeah, up here. In, now I'm in the Green Hills of East Alabama on the way to Atlanta. Okay, and so Anniston, is that in more of a rural area then? Yeah, it's the county seat of Calhoun County, which is uh, in rural East Alabama. Okay, very good. And uh, how did you end up moving, first of all, up to Birmingham and then uh, answering that call for a vocation to be a priest? I was working in a bank, actually, in New Orleans, where I went to college, and my sister had had a baby, and she's my only sibling. So uh, at that time, I decided that was 1999. And I decided to move up to Birmingham, where she was living and working, and got a job in a bank in Birmingham, and was rocking right along uh, when the Lord uh, asked me, you know, what the what I thought the next step needed to be. And so my pastor and good priest, uh, Father Pat Cullen, here in our diocese, 
he helped me and sent me on to the bishop, our Bishop David Foley at the time. And next thing I know, they'd sent me to the seminary, and here I am. Very good. Well, um, now you're also down in the Bible Belt. I actually went to college down there in Birmingham at Samford University uh, right. before I was ever uh, I, uh, converted to the Catholic Church. But um, yeah, you, you've it's uh, not quite a population there of Catholics. Um, have you found that it's helped you to be able to uh, be a stronger witness for the Catholic faith down there? Well, I think you'd be surprised. I mean, there's a lot more Catholics than people give us credit for um, in the Deep South. Uh, and, and of course, the population has grown exponentially in the last 30 years uh, through immigration, particularly from Latin America. And uh, so, but I do think that you're right. I think as a minority religion in the Deep South, um, our Catholic practice and Catholic identity is, is very strong. Um, because we do face a certain level of anti-Catholicism in daily life. I mean, any Catholic in the Deep South will be able to tell you endless stories of somebody trying to save you in the grocery store. Sure. You know? <laughs> right. So uh, I'm sure you experienced that, too, if you went oh, to Sanford. Oh, I, gr- I grew up in that atmosphere. Yeah. I, I grew up as a Southern Baptist, so yes, I, I'm very familiar oh, with that sure. culture. Well, Father, let's uh, dive into our topic here today. And as we talk about helping somebody through that difficult time in their life, being that person who accompanies them. To begin the conversation, might be good to frame it in the context of that second greatest commandment that I mentioned, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, you know, in the creation story, we have where God says it's not good for man to be alone, right? After he's created Adam. And so then he creates Eve as this companion. So can you talk about the importance of just not being alone in general, but also having someone to help us to walk with us when we are going through that difficult time in our life. Well, you know, and and that that community that was created in the beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve, of course, we know that through sinfulness, that community was in a certain sense destroyed. And but from that moment, uh, the Lord God has been trying to rebuild it. And of course, we have this word koinonia, which is most perfectly manifest in, in Jesus himself, who came to give us this holy communion, to help us live in communion. And you can't live in communion by yourself. You know, that's, that's not going to work. And um, so the human person is made. The Lord made us from the beginning to live this communion. And of course, in baptism, we receive that in the communion of the Holy Trinity that's given to us as that seal. So... Um, so we have, that's our identity. The human person was made to, to live in, in, in communion, and by extension, we live that in this world in community. So when we're living in community, I, I, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is it's, it's awfully easy to want to isolate ourselves and to say, mm-hmm. I don't want anybody else's help. I don't, I want to be able to do this on my own. I want to be able to be independent and it feels, and it might even be even more pronounced, maybe as Americans, kind of that pioneer attitude that has been instilled in people who have grown up in this culture. I need to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. If I ask for help, I'm showing weakness. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's absolutely there uh, in North America. Um, it, also, too, I think uh, the concept of economic independence, um, when the Lord tells us that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven, he's not really trying to make it out that all rich people are terrible. People who have means, I guess, people who have been blessed and, and fortunate through their labors and, and sacrifices to have things. But there is that sense in which having things makes us feel independent and can even make us feel independent of God and neighbor. And of course, that's what will destroy a person in the end. Um, that sort of idea that somehow through economic independence, I can just uh, thumb my I knows at everybody around me and do what I please. So how do you think we get ourselves to a point where not only are we willing and able uh, to be in that sense of community, not to have this false reality that we're trying to buy into, that we, we can do it all on our own, and also not saying there's weakness necessarily involved because we're saying we need other people in our lives. How do we get to that point and then, out of that, allow ourselves to be that, that person who can help other people when they're in that, need, that, that place where they need help, that, that assistance? Well, I think, Josh, you, you, you mentioned the word weakness, and um, that is an important word. Uh, you know, the Holy Apostle Paul tells us that it's only in the recognition of weakness that we can accept the strength of God in our lives. And we have to come to that point. Uh, and that's a struggle. That's a, that's a struggle. And it's part of the conversion that Catholics have to go through every day. You wake up in the morning and you feel like you have abilities and capacities. And then we have to somehow discover that they all came from him. Uh, they don't. They don't. They don't have their origin in us, and um, that's a that's that's a something that we kind of have to discover. At least for me, I have to discover it every day. <laughs> and uh, you know, you feel kind of like a goose sometimes. You know, you wake up in a new world every day, but um, but that's often the way of conversion that we we have to sit down and and, and look at the way that the Lord God is trying to speak to me and convert me and help me to live this communion every day. And, um, and be reminded I, every day, right? That's exactly right. And, and, and I think that, that absolutely being able to, to accept and name one's weakness and not be scared of the weakness. The, the spirit of evil is forever trying to scare us with our weaknesses. And we conquer him when we say, you know, I'm not scared of you, and I'm not scared of what you're saying because I know my weakness, and um, and I and and I know that the Lord God is going to strengthen me, and you can't give me anything. So, well, so continuing on this idea of how we can help people around us if they're going through that difficult moment, let's also talk about the importance of being grounded in prayer, being grounded in the sacraments. If we're trying to offer help on our own strength. It might be a noble intention, might be all, you know, all good, <laughs> but when we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, then there's far more good that can come about by simply being the instrument that God uses to impact somebody's life than what we might be able to accomplish just on our own. Right. 
No, um, we, we absolutely must be rooted in the life of the church. You know, of course, the sacraments are the, the most beautiful uh, manifestation of the life of the church and the Eucharist above all. But, but the whole life of the church is what keeps us um, connected even if it's as simple as belonging to your prayer group and going to the meetings and participating in apostolates in your parish, those are all extensions of, the, of what we experience in the sacred liturgy. And it boils down to this, Josh, to me, and, and in North America particularly, uh, you got to go to Mass, not simply because it's an obligation, which it is, but you wake up in the morning on Sunday, and sometimes people want to do all sorts of things and go all sorts of places. And of course, the spirit of evil wants to take you to those places. But you get up and get yourself together and you go to mass and you get there on time. And even if it's distracting and people are hollering and screaming and there's somebody you don't like in the pew in front of you and you're looking at the back of their head, you have had all of those experiences. And whether we know it or not in the moment, the Lord Jesus Christ sends us grace to transform and bring us together in Holy Communion. It's a, it's a struggle. Commun communion and community and accompaniment is never going to be easy, but it simply must be done. You know, the other thing that strikes me too, uh, as you're talking about the life of the church there too, there's also... Not only do we allow ourselves to be that conduit for God's love and mercy, His grace to be brought into the world. You know, I mean, that's that's what we hear every single time at the end of Mass. You know, go forth, proclaim the gospel, or, you know, something mm -hmm. along those lines. But there's also our own protection. And I, I think of a man that I knew who he was a leader in a Baptist church. This was when I was in my uh, uh, late teens. And he was this leader in this church. He was married, had grown children of his own. And there was a woman who she lost her husband. He died and she was widowed. And this man was trying to offer some counseling for her, trying to help her through that grief, through um, the loss but emotions got involved, and they ended up having an affair. And this man, he started from a place of wanting to help. He had good intentions. He was, he was trying to uh, give assistance to this woman. But through, I'm sure, her, her pain, her sorrow, her loneliness, and him, even though it might have started with good intentions of care and wanting to help her through this, he wasn't guarded in the way he needed to be and fell into this sin. And he, he admitted to it. He came forward and said, nope, this was, this was what happened. He and his wife, they had to kind of start over. You know, she was obviously hurt. They had to rebuild. Mm -hmm. But then it, it ended up causing more problems than it ended up helping. And so that's another side of really kind of guarding ourselves, making sure that we are spiritually protected if we're going to be offering that help. I think that's another aspect of being grounded in that prayer, being united in the life of the church, you know, in the Eucharist. Well, and one of the best things that was ever taught to me in the seminary, um, Father Ross Schechterly, who's a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, 
he was our counselor, our house counselor in those days. And I remember if he said it once, he said it a hundred times. He said, you must always ask yourself this question when you head out into ministry. You must ask yourself whose needs are being met. And similar to the idea about being frank with oneself about one's weaknesses, we must always be very frank with ourselves about what our needs are. And so the story that you tell, this man may have had really very good interest to help, but at a certain moment, his own needs took precedence. And of course, if we're rooted in the sacrifice of Christ and we keep our eye fixed on the cross, we see that the Savior went to the cross for no other reason other than to provide for us everything that we might need. Being on this feast day above all of the triumph of the Holy Cross, right. we see the power of that uh, made manifest in the world. But, you know, in a practical way, we have to ask ourselves, you know, whose needs are being met here? Because there's a lot of do-gooding in the world that is one's trying to meet one's own needs, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard not to let our own desires, our own wants, our own, what we might quote unquote call our own needs get in the way. Our spiritual director, Father John McDonald, he's a priest of the Diocese of Birmingham, Alabama. And today we're talking about how we can accompany those in our lives that we encounter that are going through a tough time, some sort of difficulty. And when have you helped someone through that difficult time in their life? What did you find that offered maybe the most comfort in helping them? And have you had someone come into your life, give you that kind of assistance? How did God use that time to help you grow in your faith, in your trust, in his providing? Our studio line open for your call right now, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Maybe you're going through that difficult time and you feel alone and you'd like some encouragement, uh, like some advice on where you might be able to turn for that help, for that accompaniment. Uh, again, that's why our program exists, is to be able to offer you that help, that encouragement in your spiritual journey. 888-914-9149, email address, relevantradio.com. And we'll talk about some practical ways that we can help those that we encounter coming up next here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Thanks for joining us today here on The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director for the hour, Father John McDonald, priest in the Diocese of Birmingham and pastor of Sacred Heart of Jesus Catholic Church in Anniston, Alabama. Today, talking about how we can be that person that helps someone through that difficult moment in their life. We can accompany them during that time, that tough time that they're going through 
And when has that happened for you? When have you helped somebody through a difficult time in their life? Or maybe you've been the one to receive that kind of help in your life. And how did God use that moment to help you to grow closer to him, to grow in your faith, to grow in your trust, and uh, to help that person? Our studio line open for your call, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father McDonald, going into maybe some of the practical side of how we can help somebody if they're going through that difficult moment, if we encounter somebody like that, it might be good to talk about, first of all, knowing if we are the right person to offer assistance. Number one, I think it's it's far easier for us to take, uh, you know, just sideline approach and say, oh, somebody else will help. So it's easy to be reluctant in that situation. But some of this, I have to imagine, as we're trying to discern, as we're trying to say, am I the right person? It's going to depend on how well we know the person, along with whatever the circumstances are that they're going through in that moment in their life. So this is, I know this is kind of a broad question. And we're not getting into a lot of specifics or details of possible issues that somebody might be going through in that moment. But when we encounter that somebody who is going through that tough time, how do we know if we should step forward in some manner? Well, I think that we always take our example from the Lord himself, you know, and how he accompanied those who um, were facing these terrible moments. I always remember the where we hear, you know, the, in the scriptures about our Lord Jesus approaches the widow of Nain. And, you know, she's lost her only son, and she's a widow, and she has no one else in the world. And the Lord Jesus comes forward, and of course he restores the son to the mother because he's prefiguring what he's going to do for all of us. Um, and, and I think that we have to be rooted and grounded in that. That, that, that this is what the Lord will do for all of us, and it's not just that widow at Nain. And with that in mind, speaking practically, what that requires of us is the ability in the Christian to allow oneself to help another and provide a space for that person. And I think I have, I have a story, if I can tell it, yeah, absolutely. that will illustrate this. I, I had a parishioner, a very dear woman in my parish years ago, and uh, she got to be about 86 years old, and she had um, only had a daughter. Um, She and her husband had had this wonderful daughter, and she married a wonderful man, and they had three daughters. And her husband, this my parishioner, her her husband passed away, and so she was left, and she had her daughter and her three granddaughters and her son-in-law. and they had a very, you know, happy and caring and close family. And it was between Thanksgiving and Christmas that her uh, daughter and son-in-law with the three girls who had, they were grown by this time. They were all over 20 years old, but they all decided that they would go do their Christmas shopping in Atlanta. And as you know, from living in Birmingham, you know, Atlanta's about an hour and uh, about two hours from Birmingham. It's about an hour from me here in Anniston. But they went over to Atlanta to do all that big shopping in the big city. And coming back from that shopping spree, it happened that that day, you know, one of the 18-wheeler, some kind of way, lost control and crossed the median and hit them head on. They were all killed. Oh my. So, so this poor woman is left in the, in the autumn of her life 
lost her entire family. No one left in the world. And she is a daily mass goer. And she, <laughs> she is a wonderful person, but she could, let me tell you, she knew how to say a four-letter word. And, and so uh, she came up to me, and, and one of the first questions, I mean, she, why, you know, why did God do this to me? And I mean, I, I, well, I don't have an answer to that question. And, and she told me whatever she wanted to tell me. You know, she was not, she was angry. And so she said whatever she wanted to say. And it was important at that moment for me to listen to what she had to say. And actually not to try and say anything differently to her. You know, to tell her something that she wasn't in a, at a place to hear at that moment. And, and, I, and I don't really, I can't tell you why or how I knew not to open my big mouth. But in, in, this, in this, this process repeated itself because the woman never stopped coming to Mass. She came to Mass angry. She came to Mass, um, you know, in a certain sense, unreconciled. And, but she never stopped. And then finally, a few months after all of this, maybe even more than six months, she came to me because in our church there was, at that time, there was a small uh, replica of the Pietà of Michelangelo. And she came up to me one day and she said, Father, I just, I understand. And she said, it just popped into my mind something that a priest told me when I was a child, that, that even the Lord God did not spare himself the loss of his son. And just it had happened that one day she just looked over at that Pietà in our church and, and it all came together for her. Mm. Of course, that's the Holy Spirit. Um, and as a priest, you know, many people uh, have been damaged in times of great grief and great hardship by others trying to explain everything to them. But you see, our, our God, He will provide the wisdom for us. And, and it was this moment, this experience that I had, which really concretely showed me how his holy wisdom is a gift to us. And of course, I bless the name of the priest that told her that when, he was, when she was a child. You know, I don't know who he was, right, right. but I, I hope that he is in heaven now because he, even with that instruction to that child that he didn't know what was going to happen in the future, he saved a soul. Do you think in watching her after that too then, that her being, I mean, number one, I, it's so important, I think, that you pointed out the fact that this was a months-long journey. And, and it might have been longer than that, depending on the person. But did you see that there finally was not only just that, that ability to come to terms, to accept and to be reconciled with God, but also to maybe even have a stronger trust and faith in God in her life after that? Absolutely, because she's gone to be with God now, this, this lady. And, and she was able to be ready to meet him um, through the experience that she had. You know, our, our, you know Holy Father John Paul II left us this, this wonderful uh, teaching, which is so unread, which is his document, uh, Salvifici Dolores. I, I want to say that it came from 1994 in 
um, the, they had a year of the Redeemer, I remember. And, um, and he wrote this document on the saving grace of suffering. Um, this, this, this is to be read. And um, how, how, and of course it's not, you can't say to someone in the moment of their suffering, if you walk up to a person such as the lady that I mentioned and try and explain all this beautiful stuff to her in this moment, she's going to hit you about the neck and head. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is, uh, this is, and that's not even a kind thing to do to try and explain all these things. But if it's true, it will come to pass. So, uh, and I think Christians want to helping one another, as we mentioned before earlier, being rooted in the life of the church and having confidence that this is a God who can reconcile all things. We have to let him do his work and he, he uses us. But if we're not a little bit empty, what, what can he put in our mm-hmm. cup? Oh, that's, that, that's, that's beautiful, Father. Our spiritual director today, Father John McDonald, a priest of the Diocese of Birmingham, and talking about how we can help those that we encounter in our lives, going through those difficult moments, how we can accompany them on that journey as they're going through a tough time. And we're taking your phone calls as well at 888-914-9149. Maybe that's been you. Maybe you've been the person to help somebody else in that tough moment. Maybe you've been the person going through that difficulty, and somebody has helped you. How did that come about? How did your faith grow in God, your trust grow in God? And how did it help you to uh, just be able to say, you know what, I, I really, I, I'm really glad that I had that person to come alongside me and give me that assistance, whether it was just listening, whether it was they, they introduced me to somebody who could help me further, whatever it is, we'd love to hear your story. 888-914-9149. Father, we've got Cynthia who's listening to us in San Marcos, Texas. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Thank you so much. I'll try to make this short. Um, I've told some of my story before, so I'm just going to jump right into this. At the end of 2010, uh, I was involved in a huge drug bust in Lubbock, Texas, and I was actually looking at 99 years to life in prison, and I was working as a waitress. I was actually trying to detox myself off of methadone and drugs and stay away from people, but I was still very, very sad and miserable, and lo and behold, a couple of priests would come into the restaurant regularly, and one of them his name is Father Anthony Phelps, uh, started befriending me, and he just extended this this gracious and generous friendship to me. And little by little, I, you know, I already wanted to go to church, but I just was so confused. I was never catechized. Um, and he just, somehow God gave me the grace to do whatever Father Anthony suggested. So I started meeting him by my schedule. He was so nice about that, meeting me in the evening for confession, and he would give me books, a book on apologetics, he gave me the book, uh, The Confessions, and um, he would invite me to anything going on at the church. He would say, oh, Cynthia, uh, there's this thing going on, can you be there? And I was, okay, because nobody ever invited me to to good things, <laughs> you know, to church or to, to nice, beautiful things. 
And I would go, and when I would go, he would introduce me to all these people, to other priests. He'd say, this is my friend Cynthia. And I would just be like, oh, wow, okay, thank you. (laughs) And then he would say, Cynthia, can you meet me at the hospital tomorrow, Catholic hospital there in Lubbock? And I met him there, and there was a bunch of priests there because they worked out of that hospital, and he made an extraordinary Eucharistic minister of me. Somehow God gave me the grace to fall into that, and I fell in love with that work, even though I was still at the end of my addiction. And it was just an amazing way that God used him to lift me up because he always treated me like I was more than what I thought of myself. I didn't love myself. I was unhappy. I was bad. I was very alone because that's where addiction can take us. I always tell people the enemy wants to get us by ourselves to work us over, and he does that. So when that happened, I just fell in love with the church. I I had such an admiration for religious and priests. And uh, I have said before, I am a, a street missionary today, and I work with addicts in the street in Austin and all around here. But it was Father Anthony's uh, generosity and his kindness and his love that drew me in, and now I know, of course, that was Jesus drawing me in and using him. And one day, I'm going to go to Arizona and find him. He's a hermit. I know that, and I think I know the convent, but he has no idea of the way that God used him to change my life. So that's my story, and I'm, I'm ever grateful. So thank you. That's a really uh, a beautiful testimony. And um, it, it it brings to my mind, too, the importance of inviting people to what we as Catholics call the apostolate, you know. And, and, that, and, and it's at the, in the apostolate where we build and live and experience community and accompaniment. Because Christians help one another, you know. This, this, this beautiful priest, Anthony, uh, you know, is helping Cynthia, but Cynthia is living community. She's living this holy communion um, in her work and in her testimony among other people who might feel wounded or really trapped by addiction. So I think that's a, a beautiful testimony. I'm so glad you called in, Cynthia. Yeah, such a, a powerful and beautiful story of how just an invitation can make such a difference mm-hmm. in a life and change that entire direction. I, I mean, you know, Father, that's that's the story of every apostle that Jesus called. <laughs> you know, Indeed. hey, come along. And boy, what a world-changing invitation that was. Uh, our spiritual director for the hour here on The Inner Life, Father John McDonald, a priest of the Diocese of Birmingham, we're talking about how we can accompany those who are going through that difficult moment, and maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Maybe you've been the one to accompany that person, or maybe you've been the person who's had somebody else come alongside you and help you during that tough moment. Our studio line open for your call, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, and we'll continue taking more of your phone calls. I know we have a number of you on hold, so please wait, be patient. We'll try and get to all of you here after this, right on uh, Relevant. Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. 
Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director this hour, Father John McDonald, a priest in the Diocese of Birmingham, Alabama, and today talking about how we can accompany those in our lives that we encounter that are going through that tough time, that difficult moment, and uh, how that allows God to work through us, how the Holy Spirit can make us a conduit of God's love, God's mercy, how we can care for our neighbor in that way. And we're taking your phone calls as well at 888-914-9149. And Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Patty who's listening to us in Claremont, Florida. Hi, Patty. Thanks for calling into The Inner Life today. Hi. I really enjoy your shows, and I, I give donations to Relevant Radio because I think it's such an important thing in our life. And um, this... this um, topic that you have was I thought I would just call in to tell you sometimes how small things can help people so much. Um, Several years ago when I was going to the church in Branson, I was one of the readers and I was waiting um, for the priest to come out and altar service to process into mass. And I saw a lady coming up the walk to come into church. And for some reason, I just ran over there and I opened the door and I gave her a great big smile and welcomed her into the church. And so she went in and we proceeded in and I never thought about it again. And around a year later, this woman came up to me and she said, you probably don't remember me, but around a year ago, I was coming into church and you opened up the door and your big smile and your welcome into church I was in the middle of a huge spiritual struggle, and I had decided this is it. It's the last time I'm coming to Mass. I'm leaving the church. I'm not doing this anymore. And she goes, because of what, just your smile and helping me into the church, I changed my mind, and I'm so grateful because I'm still here. No, that that is a beautiful uh, reminder of the fact that hospitality is one of the first um, gifts that we can give. When we don't have anything, we don't have a, a bottle of water or anything to give, we can give just that welcoming spirit, um, which is how we accompany, you know, to, to be received um, to be re- to, and to know that one has been received. Um, in 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 the church above all, but even in the but even in the home and and even in the community at large. When you're at the grocery store and you're in the checkout line and everybody's busy and everything like that, and you turn around and and you strike up one of those casual conversations, and then somebody looks at your T-shirt and they see that you go to the Catholic Church, you know your parish, and they think to themselves, "Oh, I just enjoyed speaking with that person just for five seconds there." And, um, you know, this is, this is the gift. The rule of St. Benedict really gives us a beautiful orientation about that level of hospitality, you know, greeting others as we would greet Christ in our own lives. So, I, Patty, really, that's a beautiful um, uh, of testimony to, to help us remember that, that people come to the church wounded. As our Holy Father tells us, we're meant to be more like a field hospital. And 
and and you had that openness and that orientation to to provide a little triage, and you didn't even know what was wrong with the person. So mm-hmm. that was a beautiful thing. You know, the thing that I like about Patty's story, Father, along with Cynthia's, Patty, she had this what what might have seemed as not an important encounter at all. It was just that smile. It was just being friendly. Cynthia might have encountered that priest who was just being friendly and just just doing what he does. But you hear kind of both sides of what happens there. Somebody who behaved that way, somebody who received that kind of behavior directed towards them, and how it really impacts. So those small little things, I, I think that's also important to point out. It can be those small moments. It doesn't have to be some huge monumental uh, uh, action on our behalf. It can just be a smile. It can just be a small little uh, word of encouragement that can change the direction of somebody's life. And, and, and Josh, it's important, though, to mention, you know, because we, we always like we like to speak about beautiful things. But but, you know, that that sword has two both edges ways. And it cuts both ways. That's right. That's because right. Because. When somebody is dismissive and and curt and 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 you know and God forbid it's a priest of Jesus Christ, but we know that this happens. You know that somebody comes to the church and 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 they come up in the line for Holy Communion and they hold up to the priest these rosaries and they say, "Father, you bless my rosary." We don't have any idea where that person came from. Of course, we know that we are trying to give the body of Christ to the holy people of God. And this is a sacred, precious moment. And one can easily be annoyed that somebody wants you to bless their rosary right. in that noble and, and precious moment. But at the same time, maybe that person was robbed of the catechesis that they were meant to have by some person who was negligent or a priest that was negligent and didn't run his program. And the person comes, but this is how they come. And, and again, people look into the face of a Christian, and we know this even from tiny childhood. Small children will look into the face, and they can register the, the, the slightest sense of disapproval. I remember I've, I've taught school my whole priesthood, and um, one lesson that I remember deeply had to do with the problems of children Uh, with um, reading and language in center city communities. And one of the evidences that was so strong there was that there are some children that come to school and even come into our Catholic school communities from homes where they have never heard anything in their little life except the command form of the verb. Sit down, shut Mm. up, turn around, get up, move over. So when they come to school and they encounter the teacher, those poor children have not heard other language in their life. So they open their little mouth and they say to the teacher, get me some milk. And if the teacher is not aware, the teacher will register in her face disapproval for that child and the child sees it and feels it. And the teacher might even scold the child for speaking so aggressively to her. The child is not aggressive. The child just wants some milk. That's all they've ever known. That's all they've ever known. But then the teacher then begins to model. Oh, would you like some milk? Well, we absolutely, we have the white milk and the chocolate milk. Do you want white or chocolate milk? What do you prefer? And then the teacher using 
beautiful language and beautiful words, the child learns from that interaction. But if the child is unnecessarily scolded at that stage, they develop a sense of frustration at their own use of language. Right. And they either don't talk anymore <laughs> or they act out. And so a lot of bad behaviors can come from children in that regard when they're not uh, taught correctly. Mm. So I think the same principle is exceedingly relevant to our work in accompanying those who come to us wounded. Yeah. Father, let's try and get one more phone call in here. We're getting towards the end of the hour, but Leona is listening to us in Beaver Island, Michigan. Hi, Leona. Only have about a minute or so here, but wanted to get your call on before the end of the hour. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, about a year ago, um, my um, son was arrested, and he's now serving an 18-year prison sentence, and his wife divorced him, and um, they live here right in our island with us, and um, they, his wife won't let me see the grandchildren, so, um, my only grandchildren, so we have, I was devastated, and it was just after my first year anniversary is coming into the Catholic Church, so I struggled, it's right around the same time we lost our, our full-time priest, so we didn't get daily mass, I struggled with all this suffering, and I'm like, oh, what do I do? So I was encouraged to get, read the Liturgy of the Hours. So I, I purchased the volumes, I started reading, and I've gotten so much comfort in knowing mm -hmm. that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, the priest who shared with me one day, and I, I have it marked in one of the books, it's like, therefore, the more the soul loves, the more it desires to love, and the greater mm -hmm. its suffering, the greater the healing. Mm. It's healing. So, you know, it's been such a comfort to know that I'm praying and I'm reading along with my brothers and sisters at our church and that together we can be strong and give each other. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. But I know they're praying with me. And I know they're, they're reading the same readings that I am and that we're worshiping. You know, worshiping God together, and that gives me strength and unity that we have this big family out there. Leona, that's such on a, heaven a, yeah. and on earth. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling, and I just want to let Father respond here. And Father, we're down to about uh, last minute or so here in the program. Sure, no, uh, Leona. I have a sweet cousin named Leona, and that's a beautiful name. But you know, you remind me of the fact that the Psalms are Jesus's prayer book, and when we pray that liturgy, the hours. Because it's part of our sacred liturgy, we're connected to one another. It, it is a sense of community because one day you pray a psalm and that psalm is uh, one for sadness, but you're not sad, but you're praying it for the person who is. So I think that's a beautiful uh, communion that we experience in the Liturgy of the Hours. Leona, thank you so much for calling. And I know there are so many other people now, not just praying the Liturgy of the Hours with you, but just praying for you very specifically after calling in here. Father, as we're at the end of the hour, we've got about 10, 15 seconds. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for all of our listeners as we conclude today? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your blessing upon all those who have listened to this radio program, which has created a sense of community for your people that they might be strengthened and blessed by your grace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father John McDonald, a priest in the Diocese of Birmingham. And of course, stay tuned. We have Mass coming up next here on Relevant Radio. <laughs> 